0: Teachers and principals need to have a learning mindset because we're in an ever-changing environment. It's a continuous process. I mean, it's not just the students who go to school to learn. Teachers and school leaders are all part of the learning process.
1: From the University of Melbourne, this is Expert Hack, a show about the changing world of work and how industry experts are finding clever solutions to tricky problems. I'm Ali Moore. Today, why the best teachers actually learn from their students and why it pays to be open to learn from even the most unexpected situations. Maxine McHugh speaks with two teachers, Michael Musket and Grace Wong, who were part of the landmark documentary series Revolution School, which screened on the ABC in 2016. Maxine began by asking Michael about the experience of having TV cameras in the classroom.
0: Look, it was a lot of fun. And it was exhilarating and challenging all at the same time because we really felt that we had the spotlight on us every day for 12 months to a very high degree, you know. And it was um, going
2: out to a national audience. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there was a little bit of living on tenderhooks for the whole year, but it tended to bring the best out of people and the best out of the organisation.
2: Grace, what did you feel? Because again, I would have thought cameras on a group of teenagers Yeah. Who are going through a lot of emotional turbulence yeah, in their life? Yeah.
0: Any,
3: anyway, what what was that like? And um, um, what was the effect on them? I can still remember a few of my students. They were like, look into the camera and say, "Mom, I'm on the TV. <laughs> I'm on the TV." But after a while, they get used to what happened with the cameras and stuff. So they were like, back to normal classes, normal classroom. And Michael, what feedback did you get?
0: We got a, a tremendous amount of positive feedback from all quarters. You know, across the nation, people made the effort to contact the school and say thank you and well done and thank you for being so brave, and we were brave, for finally getting to show the Australian community how challenging and how complex the work of teachers really is. Mm.
2: Because as we know, teachers often don't get the the respect and they don't have the status Mm. that I I think they deserve. But what we saw in that series was the lengths to which so many teachers would go to hang in there with students who, in some cases, were goofing off, were were really not with the the program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very true. And I'm sure of all schools in the nation uh, where teachers just stretch to the nth degree and really, put a great deal of care into their work and uh, invest a lot of themselves into their work.
2: Grace, how do teachers feel about the series and about the filming?
3: I think they feel like it's their story. As they watch it, because that's what happens in our lives, teachers' lives, like every day, like challenging students, um, trying to keep students on track, to motivate them and be passionate about what they're teaching every day. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good series in the transparency showing the world or Australia like what teachers should be.
2: I'm wondering if you got any feedback to the effect that wow, I really didn't quite realise just how hard teachers work. You know, you're not clocking off at 3.30. No,
3: definitely not clocking off at 3.30 because like the lesson plans that we need to like, you know, put in and if you can remember like the videos that I've made over the, um, the Revolution School series those are like, you know, after work. Yeah. Let me um, go to a couple of the I suppose a couple of the things that
2: were explored throughout the series, and one, of course, Michael, was the very strong relationship between Cambria College and the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. And that happens in a number of ways, through the network of schools, but also through the Master of Teaching graduates, many of whom have been recruited by uh, Cambria. So just talk to us about that.
0: It's been one of my frustrations right through my teaching career that the quality of teacher education has not been up to standard and i have been so impressed uh, with the work that's being done uh, by the melbourne graduate school of education now in preparing teachers to hit the ground running when they start mm. on their careers i think that the intensity of the program and the the high expectations and the the amount of time they're spending in the school with hands-on training is
2: that the critical thing
0: oh absolutely yeah. and look gracie is a prime example and it was very intense yeah, no it doubt it was but you had you, you saw how yes it is challenging but there's plenty of support around you. Yeah. And that's provided both by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education, by the the staff member who's employed specifically to be a support person. And, of course, by all your colleagues at the school.
2: Michael, what's been your experience then with beginning teachers? Because we know the data tells us that retention is a real problem. Often we're putting graduates into schools and within three or five years, they're gone.
0: Well, there's no doubt that no matter how well prepared you are, your first year of teaching is going to be tough. There's, There's no way around that. Because it is exhausting. You're being tested. Your your emotions are being dragged. You know. You're just being your physical
2: energy levels. The I whole imagine thing five
0: days a week. You know, <laughs> full on. And work. I guess
2: I guess some kids would be trying you on too, wouldn't they?
0: Of yeah. course they do. Yeah. You know, and they're testing you out. And uh, you know, you are a work in progress. You are developing. Yep. So the great thing about the Graduate School of Education is that it prepares teachers better to be able to cope with those challenges. Yep and then give you a way better chance of staying in, the, in in the profession but it is tough teaching is not a gimme it is not a it's not something you fall back into yep. as 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 an, a soft option it is a mm-hmm. tough profession but it can be one of the best
2: and rewarding did all of those supports then help make your first year a bit less daunting than it might have been yes
3: it was a bit less daunting as you can see there's cameras in my classroom on my first year it was less daunting in a sense where like you know where you stand and you know you have a bank of things that you can use it's just that you need to make up your mind which one you want to use and which one you want to be Expert in it, yeah. Or you want to refine in your teaching.
2: Michael, you mentioned just a minute ago, though, that your concern is about the variability of a lot of Australian teacher training. First of all, do you think we're getting to the point, though, that we are lifting the bar on that?
0: I would say, yes, finally, we are beginning to head in the right direction. It's been a long time coming. It means that we have a lot of unprepared teachers in the system, unfortunately. That's
2: a dreadful comment, isn't it? Because at stake is thousands and thousands of students and their preparedness for, as we're saying in this series, a very different work world.
0: That's the reality and it is cross-sector. So that's the challenge we have as principals in schools, to build the capacity of our teachers always. It's probably our number one job, constantly building the capacity of our teachers to become better at their craft.
2: Let's talk a little bit about different classroom approaches yes. that you try at Cambria, because as you know, the Master of Teaching program centres on the application of what's called clinical intervention practice. Yes. What does that look like at Cambria?
3: We look into research and studies on how to differentiate more effectively in a classroom. As we know, in our classroom of twenty-five, all of the students they learn differently. We can't just say. All right, students, take out your textbook and turn to page 41 and do question 1 to 10. You can't have 100% learning happening in that classroom with just one sort of intervention. So you might have students who are like more hands-on And as you know, like kids nowadays, they're like with ICT. They're like really good with ICT. So now we have been pushing, you know, watching videos on like learning this concept or using like numeracy software. Like they play interactive games as they learn or like they group into small groups. So there's one more knowledgeable other to teach to other peers. So there's so many things, interventions happening in a classroom where we want to, like what Michael has said before, to push great outcomes, great learning outcomes. So the
2: task for you every day really is to find the hook Yes. That will interest that particular student. Yes. And then set work that will challenge them to go a bit further. Correct. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. And imagine if a teacher have four to five maths classes, you need a lot of like individual lesson planning for like each student. And you need to think how do I sustain like using this strategy over this term? As a third year out teacher, I still struggle. Like with all this like individual learning plan and differentiation. Yeah. yeah. But it must be great when you
2: see a student who probably thinks they're only average and they're doing a bit better than yes, that. Yes, yes. Because I remember I, the teachers that I remember well are those ones who thought that I was a bit smarter than I thought I was. Michael, what about you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a debate running at the moment, and, and this is particularly pertinent to, as I say, this series about the future of work, and that is that... Perhaps there are limits now to what content knowledge is pushed in high schools with perhaps there needing to be a greater emphasis on skills development. Michael, where do you, where do you fall down on this one?
0: I I'll totally agree. You know, We're all in the same boat because we don't exactly know what the future's going to be. The best we can do is to develop young folk who can be independent learners, who can... Uh, collaborate effectively with others, who've got strong reading skills because it underpins so much of learning, who are interculturally aware, who are good problem solvers. I mean, we're going into an unknown future because change is so rapid. If we can build those capabilities and skills... You know, knowledge, we're awash with knowledge. That's not the problem. We can access that. So they're the sorts of skills we need to really focus on in our teaching now.
2: Linked to that, there was, I thought, a fascinating and, again, very brave uh, segment that was screened in, in Revolution School. And that was the exercise where a particular teacher was confronted with the amount of teacher talk time she was doing in the classroom and then over time, pull that back to the point where she was doing more listening, waiting longer for the responses from students.
3: Grace, what about you? How, do you, uh, how are you conscious about this? You know, um, I was part of the program with John Hattie and his wife with the teacher talk. I was 80%. <laughs> so I wasn't that <laughs> At, great. too. So how have you adjusted your practice? So what I did is change in lesson plan. And even just to, like, listen to, like, student feedback. Because, like, I will ask them for feedback, you know. How can Miss Wong do better in her teaching? Do you think you can learn better in certain ways? Like, working on worksheets or, like, you know, how do you learn better? So getting their feedback actually helped me restructure my lesson plan. You know, I was taught back in Asian countries. So back in Brunei, our teaching style is, like, our teacher would talk to us for, like, the whole time. And we just write notes and so on and so on. So it's very different. Like being taught in Brunei, it's so different with this Australian classroom. At first I was like, whoa, culture shock. (laughs) You know, I need to adapt.
2: So what do you seem to be describing as an ideal environment is a school where everyone's learning?
0: Absolutely, Maxine. I was thinking, you know, teachers and principals need to have a learning mindset because we're in an ever-changing environment. The research is continually being updated and improved and new things are coming on board. And just as a school needs, a principal needs to be focused on ongoing school improvement, you never get there. It's a continuous process and it keeps you vibrant, it keeps you on your toes, and it helps to create that learning community. I mean, it's not just the students who go to school to learn, teachers and school leaders are all part of the learning process.
2: Let me just bring this um, discussion to a conclusion, though, by looking at the question of leadership, because more and more, this is, I think, a very important focus. Michael, I remember you saying, because you've, you have were at the school for a long time and you saw that journey and you were part of it and you led it, but you made an interesting observation to me about the problems of perhaps doing too much. Just explain that. What did you learn?
0: You can create institutional confusion and incoherence by trying to do too much, and not sticking with things for for very long. You know, you might try something for one year and say, oh, yeah, that was good, and then it's quietly forgotten about, and you jump on another bandwagon. doesn't work. Get down to the basics, get them done really well, and do them one at a time. When the opportunity came through the Melbourne Uni Network of Schools and one of the focus groups was on independent reading, which was led by Diane Snowball, and we thought, this is for us. This is what we need. Our students are just not reading enough. And Diane presented some very compelling arguments for a focus on reading. What we did was we set up mini libraries in every classroom from years seven to ten or nine. Year ten. And every English lesson began with a period of reading, 10 minutes minutes, of silent reading. And during that time, there would be individual conferences, reading conferences with students by, you know, we had three trained professionals to conduct these conferences to assess the level of comprehension, to assess the level of enjoyment and uh, whether it was an appropriate read for them. The first indicator that we had from our librarian was something like a 75% increase in the volume of borrowings. We thought, well, that's got to be positive. (laughs) But the great thing is, two years on, when the uh, NAPLAN results came out in 2017, the school showed outstanding growth in reading and writing. And Even numeracy, too. And numeracy. So yeah. we have bucked the trend. Is that replicable, what you Absolutely. did at Cambria? Absolutely. So is the whole story of the turnaround that's taken place at Cambria College. We turned around a very low performing school to one of the higher performing schools in all areas across the state of Victoria.
2: Are we doing enough to build? an emerging cohort of effective, proficient leaders, do you think?
0: The evidence still isn't there. When leadership positions are advertised, the numbers and the quality of applicants is still not there. And this is, it perplexes me. I don't really get it. But I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see more of the brightest and the best put up their hands for leadership. Because leaders can either breathe oxygen into a school and enable and energise a school. Or they can do the opposite. They can suck the oxygen out of a place and stifle it, or they can let it go into cruise mode. I think that the principal plays a pivotal role, and it's so important to get the right people in those positions. Grace,
2: what about you? Would you aspire to be a principal?
3: Maybe, but um, I always want to be a behaviour management leader. You know, I have this passion in Like, you know, connecting with students and helping them to get back on track in their lives. So that's what I aspire to become. But I really agree with what Michael has said. Like, teachers, we can't be complacent. If we decide to be complacent, then how do we preach what we teach to our kids? Like, we ask them to learn and to give us, like, you know, good outcomes. But on the other hand, teachers, we are not challenging ourselves enough. How can we connect with them? and teach them the math that suits them the best.
2: In line with that, I I spotted a quote from Lisa Rogers recently. She's the new CEO of uh, AITSL, the Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leadership. And she said, when you send your children to an Australian school... Effective teaching should be a certainty, not a lottery.
0: We're heading in the right direction. We're doing. A, there's so many positive things going on, but the reality is we've got a way to go. The regions are depleted. Special efforts need to be made to to encourage some of the brightest and the best back into the regions, to lift the standard of what's going on out there, and uh, across the board, across the system, more work needs to be done. It is a work before us. It is the challenge we face.
1: If you enjoyed this conversation, tune in for the next episode in the series. We look at how artists are influencing politics and social change and what you can learn from artists about how to shape people's opinions. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or in your favourite podcast app. Expert Hack is a podcast from the University of Melbourne, where the Melbourne model is preparing students for the world beyond their degree. Learn more at unimelb.edu.au slash experthack.